The following audio is from Fellowship Baptist Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to make and mature disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. Amen. Well, as Daniel said before, uh, tonight's message uh, is kind of a tough one to swallow sometimes. We're going to be continuing in the book of Acts. We're going to be continuing on our journey to see what the first church endured, how they, how they did things then. And uh, the title of my sermon this evening is Boldness Brings About Opposition. Boldness Brings About Opposition. Now, James says, uh, count it all joy when you fall into various trials and temptations. And I've always read that uh, verse, and I've always thought, like, why? You know, why would you count it joy when you're going through trial and, and temptations? And maybe even like now, maybe you've lost your job. Maybe uh, things, you know, so, you know somebody who's sick. Maybe you know somebody who's died. And, and, and you're thinking to yourself, why would I do that? Why would I count it joy when I fall into these various trials, and I think tonight would really help uh, shine a light on what the priorities are for us. Okay, so a little recap real quick as we've been moving through the book of Acts. Uh, we saw that Jesus had ascended into heaven, right? And the promise of the Holy Spirit came. They all uh, spoke with tongues that people could listen and could hear the message of God from people of every region were hearing them speak boldly about God in their own languages. Then Peter preaches and 3,000 people are saved. The church begins to care for one another, to, care, to, bury, uh, to, to, to bear each other's burdens. And we saw that, you know, living in Christ-centered community. And they were in awe of what was going on and lives were being saved. And as we saw last week, Peter and John are coming into the temple the temple where they've always gone, the temple where uh, they probably went with Jesus, and there's this lame man there, and, and he's healed in the power of Jesus, and, and it starts this big uproar about what they did, but God was glorified because this man, uh, this man was healed and was saved, and what an amazing journey, right? What an amazing journey. Imagine, uh, imagine just for a bit that that were happening right now. Imagine that we would be holding these big revivals and that we would witness to everybody we came into contact with, how awesome would that be? Imagine if we were as bold as the apostles were in their approach to spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. What would that look like? What would it look like? What would it look like for us to have the same boldness and the same approach as the early church did. We read it in the book of Acts. We read what they were doing. And basically what we get out of it, that there are two things that happen when we have this kind of boldness that they had. And we'll look at those things here in a little bit. But let's go ahead and read our text. Acts chapter 4. If you have your Bible with you or the Bible app open. I know if you're watching on your phone, you might not be able to do that. So you'll have to get one like mine. Uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 1, uh, 1 through 4 is where we're going to be. Let's read. While they were speaking to the people, 
the priest, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day, since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now, just a little bit of context before we continue on. This This passage follows directly after what Daniel had preached about last week, that there was this lame man paralyzed all his life. They came to the gates, and he was healed by the power of Jesus, and he began to leap and rejoice and ran into the temple leaping and rejoicing. And everybody knows this man. Everybody knows this man, and it's a big deal. It's big news as word starts to spread about the miracle that took place. It's such big news that the religious leaders of the day, they took notice, right? They heard about what Peter and John had done, that this man had been healed, and they began to question him, and, and, and they, they, take, they take this notice that they don't like what they're seeing so much. And all of this was a direct result of what the apostles were doing at that time. It was a direct result. They were preaching the word of God with boldness, they, they, and, and people were responding to the evidence of what was going on, right? Because before this time, they didn't have the New Testament. They they weren't able to go in and to read and to see, you know, the evidences that we find for the truth of the gospel. And so what God used was the miraculous. This guy was healed. He was healed in the name of Jesus. And because of that, it it gave authenticity to the message that they were proclaiming. If I'm coming to you and I'm trying to authenticate something that I can't show you in word or written word, then, then I have to use something else to authenticate that or you're not, you're not gonna buy into what I'm saying, in other words. And that's exactly what the apostles did here. They were authenticating the message that Jesus came to save the lost and through that came this miracle. Now, as I said before, there are two things that would happen If we were to take this same approach to the gospel of Jesus Christ as the disciples did, as the apostles did, there's two things that will happen. The first thing, we would uh, would see people place their faith and trust in Jesus in a much higher rate than we do now. Now, before you question that, let me get through this a little bit and I'll explain myself. But if we were to take the same approach that the apostles took, In that day, then we would see uh, people professing Jesus at a much higher rate. Not only professing Jesus by mouth, but by action and the way they live. Look at what Matthew 5.16 says. I'll go a little slow if you're taking notes. Matthew 5.16. Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Jesus said that if we do the work that he's called us to do, then God would be glorified up in heaven. He says, shine your light. Do the good works that the Father's called you to do, and through that, he will be glorified. So what is, how does that work, right? How, how does that work, and how is God glorified by that, you ask? Look at Luke 10. Uh, sorry, Luke 19. Luke 19, verse 10. This is Jesus again. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Again, Jesus in Mark 16, 15 through 16. 
Mark 16, 15 through 16, he says, Then he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. God is glorified when we do his will. His will is that none should perish and all should come to repentance. Okay? Let me say that again. God is glorified when we do his will. Right? Jesus said, let your light so shine so that God may be glorified in heaven. Well, how is he glorified? God is glorified by us doing his will. And his will is that people are to be saved. When we do what God has commanded us to do, people will be saved. That's right. People will be saved, not that they might be saved or that they could be saved. When we do what God in his book has commanded us to do, people will be saved. It's an absolute. It is an absolute. If it was not an absolute, then our mission would be useless. Okay? If it were not an absolute, our mission would be useless. Because imagine that. If Jesus were to say, go into all the earth and preach the gospel and make disciples. Oh, and by the way, you might not make any. There there just may not be any for you to make, but do it anyways. That wouldn't make any sense. So when we read this in its proper context, Jesus is saying, go into all the world, make disciples. He's saying this is an absolute 100% People will come to faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ because you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, because I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. He says, if you do the mission, then God will provide the fruit. It's an absolute, people will be saved. Now, these results come from having boldness in proclaiming the word of God. That's the only way. That's the only way it happens. Peter preached his first sermon, and it says that 3,000 people counted there were saved. Then Peter preaches again, it says here, and 5,000 men are saved. There's a lot of people who are going to tell you there were women and children there as well, and so that number could go up. Listen, let's just stick to what the text says. 5,000 men were saved. Look at it again. Verse 4. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Now, I'm not trying to convince anybody listening to me this evening that if you're bold in proclaiming God's word, that in one single message, 3,000 people are going to get saved or 5,000 people are going to get saved. That's not what I'm trying to tell you this, this evening. However, we should absolutely see more than what we're seeing now. I think if I were to take a poll, if I were to take a poll and ask you, do you think that we should be seeing more people saved than what we actually do, it would have to be 100% yes right? Because that's God's will, that people are to be saved. So I said, as I said before, there are two things, right? There was two things that would happen if we took the bold approach that the apostles taken. The first thing is we would see a higher rate of people placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's an absolute. And then number two is that there will be opposition to the message of God, that there will be opposition to the message of God. Look, let's look at our text again. Acts chapter 4, this time verse 1 through 3. Okay, it says, while they were still speaking to the people, remember this is after the lame man was healed, the priest and the captain, uh, the captain of the temple police and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus the resurrection of the dead. 
So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day, since it was already evening. Peter and John had just witnessed God do the miraculous. Now, this wasn't the first time Peter and John had seen Jesus do the miraculous, right? It might have been the first time without Jesus actually being there, but it wasn't the first time they had seen the miraculous. But here they are. They see the miraculous in this lame man, and thousands of people are being saved, and these religious leaders are upset because they're preaching about the resurrection, right? What's the deal with that? There's this miraculous thing that happens. This guy that they know was lame for all, all of his life. They know him. He's leaping up and down. He's dancing around. And these religious leaders, instead of seeing the evidence, instead of seeing the authentication of the message, they turn and say, they're preaching a resurrection, which we don't agree with. This group is called the Sadducees. Uh, they were a group of men who were priests. They were politically connected. Uh, history shows that maybe... They were more political than they were religious, right? They were priests, but maybe they were more political than they were religious. Now, here's a few uh, beliefs of the Sadducees that I jotted down. They denied any resurrection of the dead. Uh, we can see that in Matthew 22 and Mark 12 and Acts 23. Uh, and due to this belief, the Sadducees strongly resisted the apostles' preaching that Jesus had risen from the dead. That's their riff right now. They denied the afterlife, holding that the soul perished at death and therefore denying any penalty or reward after earthly life. They denied the existence of a spiritual world, example, angels and demons. And so, so the message that the apostles were preaching had a twofold effect on, these, uh, on the status of these Sadducees in that day, right? The, their message had a twofold effect. One, they believed in a totally different message than what the apostles were preaching because they believed in God. They believed in Yahweh, the God of the apostles. However, they believed in a totally different message about Yahweh than what the, the, the disciples were preaching. And they were, in my opinion, they were concerned that their political influence would be hindered by the success of the gospel. We saw that throughout history, that once people began to be saved and Jesus turned their lives around. Uh, look at Matthew in the Gospels. He was a tax collector. He robbed from his own people. And once he got saved, he gave that life up. It was no more influence there for a crooked Matthew because he had been saved. And their opposition to this is that they, they, they pose a threat to what we're doing here. The message of the Gospel was offensive to them. Okay, the message of the gospel was offensive. The message of the gospel pointed out their hypocritical methods of worshiping God, right? They had made all these laws and all these rules and all these things that were extra biblical that they did not see in the Old Testament Bible, and they made it so that people would follow these things. And here come the apostles, here comes Jesus saying, no, 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 that's not the way, right? We're to worship God in spirit and truth, and, and God desires uh, worship and not sacrifice. And they didn't want to hear these things, right? They were in direct opposition to this gospel, and they used the power they had to silence them as they were trying to preach. Look at verse 3. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day since it was already evening. The message, preaching the message of the gospel as it is meant to be preached will bring about opposition. 
Just let that sink in a little bit. Preaching the message of the gospel as it is meant to be preached will, not may, not might. Here's another absolute. Will bring about opposition. This has been true from the beginning. From the beginning. What happened to Jesus? Jesus was crucified. Peter and Paul both martyred in Rome around 66 A.D. During the persecution under Emperor Nero, Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down at his own request. Andrew crucified in Asia Minor. Thomas died when pierced through with the spears of four soldiers. Philip, the apostle, disciple, arrested and cruelly put to death by the Roman proconsul. Matthew, the tax collector, he was stabbed to death in Ethiopia for the message. Bartholomew, uh, there were various accounts of how he met his death. Nonetheless, it was a martyr for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He did die that way. James was stoned, to, stoned then clubbed to death. Simon the zealot ministered in Persia and was killed after refusing to sacrifice to the sun god. Matthias, the apostle you know, that was chosen after Judas to replace Judas, tradition uh, sends him to Syria and, and, uh, with Andrew and both died a death by burning. John was the only apostle, the only original of the 12 to not die a martyr's death. Although they tried they dipped him in tar uh, and tried to boil him. And when, he couldn't, when they couldn't kill him, they, they stranded him on an island uh, where he saw the vision and wrote the book of Revelation. Even Polycarp, the disciple of John, right? John's disciple was burned at the stake and pierced through with a spear for refusing to burn incense to the Roman emperor. Justin Martyr. An early Christian apologist, along with many of his disciples, were beheaded by the Roman government. Again, preaching the message of the gospel as it is meant to be preached will bring about opposition. Hence the title this evening, Boldness Brings About Opposition. So what's changed? What's changed? Why has there not been the same level of opposition to the message we're preaching today? What's the difference? You know, before we really get into that, uh, let me caveat this. Let me just say, I do not desire to die a martyr's death, okay? I don't have this death wish or this somehow this, you know, weird fascination with dying some extreme persecution. That's not me. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go through that. But Jesus himself made it very clear that there would be opposition to this message. He, he doesn't give us any other indication that it won't. Okay? Look at John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 21. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the, the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. But they will do these things to you on account of my name because they don't know the one 
who sent me. There's a whole lot of, you know, discussion of whether you can say that was only meant for the disciples or it was only meant for the first century church. But I don't think we see that. With as much persecution that went on after the apostles, the message of God to sinners is offensive. Okay, the message that God has left us, that we are not in charge of our life, that he should be in charge of our life, that we don't run things, that is offensive to us. Now, I'm not talking about all these sins that you could, that you could name out one after another, prostitution, you know, alcoholism, you know, being a drug addict, whatever, right? I get all that, that, that you know, there's actually hope in the message of Jesus Christ, but the fact that that you need a Lord and Savior over you is offensive to people. But I ask again, what's changed, right? We see, we see the apostles in the early church boldly proclaiming the word of God, boldly, wherever they go. <clears throat> but we also see opposition to the word around every corner that they come across. Every time they come into a new situation, there's opposition. They're being stoned. They're being... Uh, thrown in dungeons, they're being drug away, some of them being killed, and they're being persecuted for centuries after Christ has ascended. We have Jesus himself saying that the world will hate us and that this will be the norm, okay? If you, if you have surrendered your life and you title yourself Christian, Jesus says the world is going to hate you and going to persecute you because of it. So why do we not see that anywhere? Why don't we see that going on where we are today? We have the largest population of quote-unquote Christians on the whole planet right here in the U.S. And we live in peace and tranquility and are not opposed or rejected for what we say. At all. You know. And for the most part, we rejoice in the fact that we have the freedom to do that. I've said it myself, that we live in the greatest country in the world, and I mean that. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else, I promise. However, should the fact that we are not challenged in our message concern us about the message that we're preaching? If there is, if there is no opposition... And what are we doing wrong? Listen, I love coming to church. I do. I, I enjoy it. Anybody who knows me knows that I get pumped up about Sunday mornings or evening as we're here tonight. I love coming to church. I, I, I hate the fact that we have to meet this way. You know, we were doing like three discipleship groups a week, uh, Melissa and I. And, and, and you know, our, we had Wednesday church and our whole week was filled with with, with doing church. I love, I love doing church. But have you ever noticed that nobody really seems to care if we come to church or not? Like, I'm not talking about, you know, people don't want to come to church, they don't care to come to church. I'm talking about the opposition. The opposition doesn't seem to care whether we come to church or not. No one opposes our rights to congregate for Jesus. No one has ever came in here and drugged Daniel and I off the stage and into jail for the message that we're preaching or for doing church, in other words. No one cares that we do church here and that we're contained here 
And maybe, just maybe, we've become so content to living out our Christianity this way that we pose no real threat to the enemy. No real threat to the enemy. Why would Satan be afraid of people who are living for themselves and not for the sake of the gospel? He wouldn't. If all there is is containment right here, just like Daniel said the other day, if Sunday morning was all that there was, and we came here and we did our little country club routine, and we hung out together, and, and, and then we forgot about the mission, the boldness of preaching the gospel wherever we are, then why would the enemy be so afraid of a country club? There's nothing to be afraid of if we're not spreading it around. Look at Peter and John. They're in the face of the enemy. They're preaching and proclaiming Jesus wherever they go. They're living and they're breathing the Great Commission and threatening the enemy with every conversion that's being made for the gospel. There is fruit coming out of their lives. They're doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. Now, and before we start lining up excuses about, well, I have a family and I have a job and, you know, I, I can't do all that stuff. Okay? Look at Peter. Peter was married. And Peter had a business of being a fisherman. Now, he left that business to follow Jesus. But listen, the, everybody's in the same boat. We all have lives. We all have families. And Jesus, even through that, said, we are to proclaim the word of God boldly. And we're to do that because that's the message that he sent us to do. There is no excuse great enough to say that we cannot be bold with our witness for Jesus Christ. I've said it before, I don't want to get to heaven and face Jesus face to face. And when he says, hey, did you do the mission that I had called you to do? I don't want to be the one to say, no, God, you know, I just didn't have time. I had a lot of work going on. I was really busy. You know, my kids had a lot of sports activities and, and you know, shoot, I was doing life. I was raising a family. If, we honest, if we're honest with ourselves, if we're really honest with ourselves, how does that excuse stack up to what Jesus wants us to do? It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. We have a mission. And the reality is every person we meet and know who are not saved should hear the gospel from us. We're the ones left with the mission. If we've been discipled and we've been trained to go make disciples, then everyone we meet who is not saved should hear the gospel out of our mouth. Will this bring about opposition? Almost with certainty, it will. Will everyone receive the message with gladness? Probably not. However, we've been commissioned to preach the gospel everywhere we go to be ready in season and out of season, no matter what is going on in our lives. Why do we not see that happen here? Why is there no boldness? And why is there no opposition? Two quick points about boldness and opposition, and then I'll be done. Number one, boldness means saying what the opposition doesn't want to hear. Boldness means saying what the opposition does not want to hear. Let's read on in Acts uh, after verse 4. This is after Peter and John had been imprisoned. 
Okay, the next day it says, so we'll read verse 5 through 12. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, uh, John, Alexander, and all the members of uh, the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. By what power and what name have you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about the good deed done to one disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by, his, uh, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by the builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Peter and John proclaim before the whole council, before the whole council, that it was the name of Jesus that healed this man. That it was in the name of Jesus that men were to be saved and no other name. That this kind of boldness was not what these pro-council rulers wanted to hear. See, we have to understand that the Sadducees placed God in a very high position. And they did not want to acknowledge Jesus as being the same as God. They did not want to hear that it was only through Jesus that someone would be saved. But not much has changed in 2,000 years, right? That message is still offensive today, that it is only through Jesus that you may be saved. And you might say, well, what if someone's friend dies who was a devout Hindu? What if someone's friend dies who was a devout Muslim? What if my family member dies and they were a devout Buddhist? Boldness, boldness means saying what the opposition does not want to hear. I would much rather have a conversation with a friend or a family member who believes different than me and have them be offended by me saying Jesus is the only way to heaven than for them to never hear the message at all. Boldness is saying what the opposition doesn't want to hear. It's not insensitive to be truthful about the ramifications of not surrendering to Jesus. I'm sorry. It's just not. It's biblical. There's a time and a place for every conversation, right? But nonetheless, the conversation must be had. If we know anybody who's not saved, then God has placed us on this earth to tell them about the message of Jesus Christ. Are we bold enough to tell our friends and coworkers and classmates that Jesus is the only way? That Jesus is the only way. That Jesus is the only answer to alcoholism. That Jesus is the only answer to drug addiction. That Jesus is the only answer to whatever other vice that we may be addicted to. Are we bold enough to say that? That that's the answer. The hopelessness in life, the answer is Jesus. The troubled marriage on the rocks, the answer is Jesus. The troubled soul that's fearful of this life, the answer is Jesus. That might not be what they want to hear. You see, there's this whole self-help movement going on right now. And it says, like, uh, you know, 
you're strong enough to overcome anything as long as you surround yourself with the right people and you work real hard and you, and you put off these good vibes that, you, that you, you can overcome anything. You did it. You did it. However, look at what the Bible has to say about strength. 2 Corinthians 12.10. So I take pleasure in weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Psalm 73.26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Isaiah 40.29. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Do we have the boldness to tell the world, to tell our friends, to tell everyone we know that strength only comes when we are weak and it only comes through Jesus Christ and not that of ourselves. You see, you can comfort a friend all day long with all the positive vibes you want, but if they don't know Jesus Christ as their personal savior, if they don't surrender their lives to Jesus Christ, then the end result is gonna be the same. No matter how much better they get here on earth, once they expire, hell is what's waiting for them. That's hopeless. And we have the answer. We have the answer. We've been given the commission to tell people about the answer. No other religion or faith system will work. Being spiritual is not enough, right? Only a true surrender is enough. So boldness means saying what the opposition doesn't want to hear. And maybe we haven't been very open about what the Bible says. And maybe that's why we live in a peaceful time with no opposition. You see, it can only be one of two things. Either Jesus was wrong about opposition, or we're not doing what we were called to do. If opposition is an absolute, right? If my faith, okay, and the fact that Jesus saves... And that I need to get that out. And if, the, and if it's an absolute, that it will be offensive to people and there will be opposition. When there is no opposition, then it can only be two, one of two things. Either Jesus was wrong. He missed the mark on opposition. That, that means it wasn't really going to happen. Or we're not doing what we're actually supposed to be doing here where we are because there's no opposition. I'll leave you to answer that question for yourself as I have to answer that question for myself. Are we doing enough? Number two, boldness means doing the job that God has commissioned us to do. Boldness means doing the job that God has commissioned us to, to do. Did you know that Jesus only gave us one task? One task. He gave us many spiritual gifts. He gave us many ways to use these spiritual gifts. He gave us the two most important commandments in the Bible, right? Love God, love others. And what are we supposed to do with all this? He says, I'm going to send you out to do one thing. Not ten things. He didn't say, I'm going to send you out to live a moral life. He didn't say, I'm going to send you out so that way you can make it to church on Sundays. He didn't say, you know, I'm going to send you out so that way you can use your talents to play instruments here at the church, which are all great, but that was not the task. The task that Jesus gave was the great commission we read about in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. 
right? Go therefore, go continually as you're going. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do all the things that I commanded you, and I will be with you to the end of the age. One task, meaning Jesus came to earth and he said, I'm going to give you a mission and this is all that you need to do. This is it. Do this. Why? Why on earth would we do anything else? Why would we not do the one thing that he actually told us to go and do? It doesn't make any sense. And are we being bold on our approach to the mission that's set before us to accomplish? In this part of Acts, there was all kinds of opposition going on. There was the Pharisees. There was the Sadducees. There were the Roman rulers, right? Every time these guys were coming around, there was these groups opposing them and their message. They were even dying because of it. These Jewish people stoned Stephen because he was preaching about Jesus. And he was preaching that Jesus was the Messiah, and they stoned him. Saul, Saul of Tarsus, had come out, and he was gunning for Christians killing them and murdering them and throwing them in prison. Everywhere they looked, there was this opposition to the message and they were so opposed to it that they were killing people. And yet, thousands upon thousands of people were being saved. We're four chapters in and, and 8,000 people that we know about from these four chapters are saved and many more. Within a few months, And we have peace and tranquility here where we live and we struggle with the mission at hand. I've seen statistics that when people ask Christians, what's the biggest thing you struggle with? And they say, sharing my faith with other people. Sharing my faith with other people. Shouldn't it be the other way around? Shouldn't it be that we have all this peace and tranquility and freedom of speech we have no opposition. I mean, shouldn't more people be getting saved because of that? Because there is no opposition? We have free reign. We have free reign to tell anybody we want about Jesus and to proclaim boldly what he's saying. And we miss the mark. Shouldn't freedom of speech and freedom of religion give us an open door to spread the message to as many people as we possibly could and to live our lives for the mission? To set it as a priority instead of a goal to someday be bold enough to achieve. Listen, if you've got a list of priorities that you really want to achieve for being a Christian, that should be at the top of the list. That should be at the top of the list. You don't have to be a, a Bible theologian to witness to somebody. You don't have to have your life all together to witness to somebody because nobody has their lives all put together. We're all broken. We're all in the same boat. The fact is that there's no real opposition is an indicator that we are not a people about mission. That's the indicator. When we see that there is no opposition to our message, that gives us a clear fact that we have not been a people about mission. 
is it a testament of how complacent and maybe comfortable we've become being content with coming to church and living a morally right life? Because that's not enough. Shame on us. Our Savior died a sinner's death. He bore the punishment we were to endure. He experienced the weight of sin and shame that, you know, so that we could have the opportunity to tell others about him. And it's the main thing that we struggle with. Jesus went through all that stuff that we talked about in Easter. He did all these things so that you and I could have the opportunity to get the message out. And it's way down on our priority list because we're uncomfortable with it. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 through 34. Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I think that's real interesting. 34 again. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Let us not excuse or underestimate the message that Jesus left. Jesus never promised peace. He never promised peace. Jesus never said, hey, in about 2,000 years, there's going to be this land. It's going to be called the U.S. of A. And it's going to be great. And you're going to be able to go there. It's going to be your own little island of Christianity. And you're going to be able to have peace. And nobody's going to disturb you. Nobody's going to bother you for being a Christian. You're not going to be opposed. And it's going to be great. He never said that. He said that there would be opposition. He promised us that the world would hate us and that they would persecute us. And that should be an eye-opener to us, an eye-opener that Jesus left this mission and promised us the opposition that would come. And here we are 2,000 years later, and, and, and there is no opposition that there is no life on mission because I guarantee you if we were doing what God had called us to do, there would definitely be some opposition at the door because the word of God is offensive to those who do not believe. The word of God is offensive to those who want to remain stuck in their sin and who want to live their lives for themselves and do what God has commanded them not to do. That's offensive to them. And if we were truly going out there proclaiming the word of God boldly every day and we made it a top priority list, then there would be opposition. There would be opposition. And, and, and there's plenty out there. There's plenty out there. You know people who are not saved. I know people who are not saved. There's still people left, I promise you. Look at what, John, uh, what Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 35. Don't you say there are still four months until uh, then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. Look all around you, church. Unsaved people everywhere. The fields are ready. The fields are ready for harvest. Have we become too lazy? Have we become too comfortable? Are we uninformed? 
The disciples that Jesus taught had left with the mission and were doing their jobs. Are we doing ours? The, re- the reason we read right here in Acts that they were thrown in jail and that the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Roman government were trying to kill them was because they were preaching the message of Jesus Christ the way it was meant to be preached. Now, like I said, I don't desire martyrdom. I don't desire to be brutally executed for preaching the word of God. But if that's the consequence to what I've been called to do, then so be it. Imagine, imagine if we were to take this, what Jesus said, not what Julian says, not what Daniel says, okay? Imagine if we were to take what Jesus says and, and we go continually making disciples and persecution comes and opposition comes. And because of it, more and more and more people are being saved. Right now in China, it's the fastest growing church in the world because it's illegal. Because they have to do it underground. And it's spreading like wildfire. People risking their lives for the gospel. Are we doing our job? Now is the time. Right now is the moment. Whatever may come that we be bold in our message for Jesus Christ. Are you willing to accept the task? Because it's the only task that Jesus left for you to do. Have you ever been in that moment when you're like, you know, God, what's your will for my life? What should I be doing right now? Imagine a hotline that you could dial Jesus up right now and he would speak to you audibly. And you say, Jesus, what should I do? He'd say, go continually and make disciples, teaching them everything that I've taught you. He'd say, there's gonna be opposition that comes and people, they're gonna hate you for it and your life is no longer gonna be your own but you're gonna be a bond servant to me. You're gonna be a slave to what I deem to be right. And I'm gonna love you. And I'm gonna give you peace in your heart. And I'm gonna give you joy through trial and temptations. And I'm going to show you the way to the Father so that you could show other people to the Father. That's what he would say. Now put yourself back on the hotline. Are you going to tell Jesus, nah, I'm not comfortable with that. I don't really feel like I can do that, Jesus. Then Jesus would say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Because when the Holy Spirit lives within us, we do the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is that people would be saved. And he has given us the task to go out and do that. We're going to pray. And then we're going to sing a song. Join us again in worship as we finish out this service with a song. Father, we come before you, God, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus as you sent him to the cross to pay our penalty, God. We thank you for the mission at hand that we've been tasked 
with going out and proclaiming who you are, God. We thank you for allowing us to be used by you, God. And I pray this evening as we read your word and as we look at the facts that are in there, I pray this evening, God, that you would stir our hearts, Father, that you would stir my heart, that I could do more for you, God, that I would be bold in telling people about you, Father, and that I would make you a priority in my life, God. And I pray that for each and every person watching this evening, that you would place a burden in their hearts for the message and for the task that you have left us to do. We thank you for who you are, God. We trust you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. And we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Baptist Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.